This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. So if you add up just 2017 and 2022, that's 94 of his 200 career home runs. Obviously, the other uh, three-plus seasons, he has battled injuries and been out of the lineup. 2020 was a 60-game regular season. 2016, he came up just for the final month or two of the regular season. So most of his damage so far, home run-wise, in his career has been done in 2017 and in 2022. But 200 home runs in his career, you know, it, it at this rate, if he can stay healthy, it makes you think that 500 is a possibility. You know what the thing I like about Aaron Judge right now? He has, at least for me, and I don't know if others agree with this or feel the same way, but he has made milestone home run numbers significant again in my mind. You know, people are saying that if he hits 62 home runs, he will break the real home run record. I, as much as I want that to be true, I don't believe that to be true. Unfortunately, the home run record is 73. I don't like it. I think most people don't like it. I don't like McGuire's 70. I don't like Sosa's 66. I don't like any of it because it's all tainted. But it, 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 those are the records. They're not, not the records. They're the records. You just don't have to like them. But the important thing is the American League record and the Yankees record is still 61. And he's got a chance. He's got a chance to break that. He is on pace with his home run today to hit 67 home runs this season. That is an incredible number. I was looking up Saquon Barkley's year in 2019. So week one, and this is coming off 2018. If you remember, think back to where Barkley was in the football landscape at the start of his second season. Eli Manning was still the quarterback. We didn't know it at the time, but it was his last season. They had just drafted Daniel Jones, but Eli was going to start the year as the quarterback. Barkley that year, if you remember, and I know there's a lot of fantasy football players out there, after one year in the league, Barkley was it was either him or Christian McCaffrey. You know how every year you go to your fantasy draft and there's two guys among whom the top pick could be? That year it was Christian McCaffrey and it was Saquon Barkley. And then Barkley comes out his first game, 11 carries, 120 yards. Second game, 18 carries, 107 yards. Third game, Daniel Jones as the quarterback, 8 carries for 10 yards, 4 catches, 27 yards, gets injured, leaves the game, and then he misses the next three games. Now he ended up playing... Um, he ended up playing the final 10 games of that season. But when he came back, he wasn't the same. And now, again, when he comes back, Jones is the starting quarterback. Barkley misses three games with the injury. Then he comes back 72 yards, 64, 28, 13 carries, one yard in a loss to the Jets, 59, 83, 66. And it wasn't until... The Miami game, the Giants' 15th game of the season, Eli's last start at MetLife Stadium, his last win at MetLife Stadium. It wasn't until then that Barkley was Barkley again. 24 carries, 112 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, and then through the air, four catches for 31 yards. That's who Saquon Barkley was as a rookie. But Daniel Jones didn't 
gets a benefit from that because he didn't play that game. And then Barkley, the following week, ran for 189 yards, and he had 90 yards receiving. So 279 yards from scrimmage in an overtime win over Washington. And for a lot of people, that's the Chase Young game. That was, in my mind at the time, that was Daniel Jones's coming out party. Jones drove the Giants down the field, forced overtime, in overtime. They won the game. And I remember making the point at the time that it was more important for the Giants long-term to have Daniel Jones experience that type of game and that type of success before the end of what had been a rocky rookie season. Now, in hindsight, that law, excuse me, that win over Washington cost the Giants Chase Young. The Giants fell from the second draft pick to the fourth draft pick. Washington picked second. They grabbed Young, and the Giants picked fourth, and they drafted Andrew Thomas, who had a rough rookie season. But as we heard Jordan Renan say, and I agree with this, seems to be headed in the right direction right now. But Barkley really hasn't had the opportunity to perform with Daniel Jones as the quarterback. So that was year two for Barkley and year one for Andrew Jones. And Jones's second year was basically a lost season for Saquon. Remember, they started the season Monday night against Pittsburgh. This is Joe Judge now, his first year. They start... On Monday night football, Saquon rushes for six yards on Monday night. And then week two in Chicago, he tears the ACL. And then that was it. And then he was done. So now Daniel Jones, through the first two years of his career, has basically experienced one prime Saquon Barkley performance when he was in the lineup. That Washington game at the end of his rookie year. That was it. Until last year. Barkley back from the ACL. They're working him in slowly. 26 yards rushing, 57, 51 yards rushing. And then you get to the New Orleans game in week four. Giants are 0-3. But Saquon runs 13 times for 52 yards. And then through the air, five catches for 74 yards, including a touchdown. So in that game, 126 yards from scrimmage. A touchdown on the ground. A touchdown through the air. Giants win, and then they go into Dallas in week five, and Barkley steps on someone's foot, sprains his ankle, and misses the next four weeks. They haven't been able to get onto the same page. And it's unfortunate. 1-800-919-3776. It's unfortunate because this could be the final season in New York for both of them. For both Andrew, uh, Andrew Jones, for both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. It could be the final season for both of them. I'm a Daniel Jones believer. I always have been. I think he played really well as a rookie. I think his second year, he played the entire season without Saquon Barkley, but he got better as that year went on, even though his stats overall second year were not as good as his first year. The other thing is, I know the Giants were only 6-10 and 10 his second year. They almost made the playoffs at 6-10. and 10. But they were competitive in pretty much every game that season. And he did get better as the year went on. And then last year was, it was a rough year for everyone. And then Jones got hurt and missed the last month of the season. And that was a really key month in terms of development. It goes fast in the NFL if you're not in the right situation. 
it happened. It ate up Sam Darnold. And as it turns out, based on what I saw last year in Carolina, Sam Darnold's not that good. But when you start off in a bad situation and you don't know anything else, and that's happened to a lot of players. Now, some players are just that good that they, through their talent, can turn a bad situation into a good situation. You know, Joe Burrow. Cincinnati didn't significantly upgrade their roster around Joe Burrow. You can't make that many changes when you're at the bottom of the NFL and drafting first. But Joe Burrow was that good that he allowed them to skip a few steps. He allowed them to skip a few rungs on the ladder. Justin Herbert, same thing. San Diego was picking, or Los Angeles, the Chargers, were picking at the top of the draft. Justin Herbert instantly made them a borderline playoff team. Now, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, to be fair to Zach here, is not the kind of guy who makes a bad situation instantly better. If he was, then we would have seen at least a little bit of that last year. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a highly productive quarterback. He can play with talent around him in a good system. And that's really all the Jets want for Zach Wilson right now. Now you look at what the Giants have put around Daniel Jones, the skill positions, eh, you know, Tony, who knows, he had one really good game as a rookie. Um, Kenny Galladay had a very disappointing first season. You know, the Giants have all new tight ends in 2021, or from 2021. Uh, Wandell Robinson, their uh, second-round draft pick out of Kentucky, the wide receiver. You know, they're still, they still have a lot, they still have a lot on, on Saquon. But what the Giants have put around Daniel Jones is not as good as what the Jets have put around Zach Wilson. Now, the Jets didn't put a lot around Zach Wilson last year. He spent a lot of time running for his life. He's athletic. Um, he tried to do too much at times, but he was in position where he had to try to do too much. Yeah, I just remember the first time that Zach and Mac Jones, and these two guys, as long as they're in the same division, they're going to be linked. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones are going to be linked. Both came into the league the same year, both playing two and a half hours away from each other. Divisional rivals, they'll be facing each other two times every year as long as they're on their current teams. And the first time they met last year, it was a disaster for Zach. He threw four interceptions because he was running all over the field trying to make things happen. You know what Mac Jones was able to do that game? Because his defense took the ball away four times? Mac Jones was able to calmly drop back, dunk it off, have somebody catch it in the flat, and move seven to eight yards and continue to move down the field, all while playing with excellent field position because of the turnovers the entire game. That's not Zach Wilson's fault. That's a product of the franchises that they came in. So now let's look at the Jets and the Patriots this year. I think the talent around Zach and the line in front of Zach, they've closed the gap in terms of what New England has around Mac Jones. So now it's not as built in an advantage for Mac and the Patriots as it was last year. Now they do have one significant advantage 
until he retires, and that's the head coach. And Belichick over Robert Sala, I'm sorry. I, I don't know enough about Sala to make an informed decision. I, I am confident enough to say right now that he's not as good a head coach as Bill Belichick. And I think that's fair. All right, let's go to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Uh, Ira in Staten Island checking in. How you doing, Ira? Hey, what's happening? Pat, how are you? I know I'm you good. were talking about Daniel Jones and, you know, what's going on with him. But, you know, I'm with the Jets and, you know, watching them this first week. Yeah, I know there's no pads. But, you know, you brought up a really good point. You know, Zach really didn't have much to work with last year. Um, this year, I think Douglas, you know, at least right now, the very early indications are they really put a lot of pieces around him. And this team right now, let's put it this way, nothing against Zach Wilson. But if this team right now had an established quarterback that's like top 15, you're talking about a playoff contender. Now it's going to be up to, to Zach and, and for the head coach to take the next step into year two and see if they grow. And I think Zach coming out of BYU, I think he had all the raw talent athletically, arm all that stuff. It's now how much of a leap he's going to take. Do I expect the Josh Allen, the Joe Burrow type of leap? No, of course not. But I, I do think that he's a lot more composed. I, I think he has a year under his belt. And I think they set him up uh, to succeed. Now it's going to be up to him to see how he reads defenses and if he plays within the system. You know, if he continues to run backwards and, you know, backtrack and rejudge and not find his open reads, well, then we're going to get a little bit of what happened last year. But I think it's going to be different, and I think it's going to be a fun season, and I'm looking forward to to get started. I agree with you. I don't think we got a fair read on Zach last year for those reasons. You know, and the New England game is just one example, but when you – need your rookie quarterback, Ira, to try to do too much. You're not going to see the best of him, but now he's not going to, assuming those around him play up to their potential, he's not going to need to approach it that way. He's going to have to approach it differently, and a lot more responsibility is going to be on him to now impact winning these games. That's right, and he doesn't have to make these wild plays. You know, Douglas has put enough pieces, I mean, between Brees Hall, between Carter, and now you got three legitimate tight ends. You know, the receiving core is, is up to the NFL standards. So, the, you know, he doesn't have to win the game by himself. Just play within the system, look for your checkdowns, look for the safe plays and the smart plays, and I think they'll succeed. And like I said, I know the schedule is a tough one, but nobody's going to feel sorry for you. you got to play the opponent you're facing. But like I said, if they could somehow get to the bye week at 3-6 and six or 4-5, and five, I think you're looking, you know, maybe a seven, eight, dare I say nine win season. I think nine would be a stretch, but I think seven or eight games is very doable. And I'd be, uh, I'd be kind of disappointed if they don't reach that level. I think four and five at the bye week, you take that and run with it, Iron. Thanks for the call. I, I think you take that and run with it. And that's the biggest shame for me. And there's nothing you can do about it. But the Jets' early schedule is brutal. The Giants' early schedule is very favorable. But the Jets, Baltimore, and then at Cleveland, and then Cincinnati, and then at Pittsburgh, and then Miami, at Green Bay, at Denver, and then home for New England, and home for Buffalo. So Lamar Jackson, we don't know who's going to be playing quarterback for Cleveland. Probably Jacoby Brissett. Joe Burrow. Okay, Pittsburgh's quarterback, Kenny Pickett probably. Tua with Miami. But then you got to play at Aaron Rodgers. You got to play at Russell Wilson. You come home for Mac Jones. And then you are home for Josh Allen. That's, that's rough. 
I mean, top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Lamar, yes. Burrow, yes. Rodgers, yes. Wilson, yes. Josh Allen, yes. That's the tough thing. But there's nothing you can do. It lightens up significantly after the bye. You go to New England, not easy. Home Chicago, I like that. Go to Minnesota, eh. Go to Buffalo, tough. Home for Detroit, yes, please. Home for Jacksonville, yes, please. At Seattle, winnable game. At Miami, winnable game. The key is that they can't... And here's the thing. The expectations aren't to make the playoffs this year. You've got to show progress. 7-10, and 10, I will sign for that in a second for the Jets. Jets fans may disagree with me. But look at your team in recent years. 7-10 and 10 and competitive in some of those losses. Where year three for Zach, a couple of tweaks... But Ira makes a good point. Now, you can't do this because of the finances, and you hope that Zach Wilson turns into this guy. But let's just say the Jets did have a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. Who's a top 15 quarterback? Kirk Cousins, ironically, because weren't we here five years ago where the Jets were interested in signing Cousins when he left Washington? But if the Jets have Kirk Cousins on their team right now, I'm talking about for one year and one year only. Now, long-term, you want Zach to be the guy. You want him to grow into and be better than what Kirk Cousins is. But for right now, you put Kirk Cousins on this team, it's looking a lot different. All right, Yanks are threatening again. Runner on second. One out, bottom of the sixth inning. DJ LeMayhew up. Yankees leading the Royals 6-2, to two, looking for their third straight win. We'll continue to follow that and more of your calls as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Yanks already up 6-2. to two. He moves to second on a balk. Trevino strikes out looking, so you got a runner on second with one man out. Kiner Falefa steals third. Salvador Perez throws the ball into left field. Kiner Falefa pops up and scores on the error by the catcher. That's speed and that's athleticism manufacturing a run for the Yankees, and that is one of the biggest differences. Pitching, Aaron Judge, those are the biggest differences between last year and this year, but that's an underrated one, an overlooked difference between the Yankees last year and the Yankees this year. Just the athleticism that they have in their lineup compared to last year when they were old and stale and stagnant and station to station and base to base, and if they weren't hitting home runs, they weren't scoring runs. They still hit plenty of home runs. That's why they've been as dominant as they have been, winning more than twice as many games as they have lost. But the defense is a part of that. You know, just getting rid of Gary Sanchez and in the same move bringing in Kiner Falefa. Because think about it last year. Last year you had a terrible defensive catcher in Sanchez. You had a statue at shortstop in Glaber Torres who was so worried about his defense that his offense went into the tank for two years with one move. And I understand I'm not the biggest Josh Donaldson fan, but Donaldson at least does bring a really good glove at third base and some athleticism to the lineup. I'm not his biggest fan. He has not had a good season, but that one move, even though you had to absorb Josh Donaldson and the whole Josh Donaldson experience, which hasn't been great, that changed the look of this team. Sanchez out. Torres out of shortstop, Kiner Falefa at short, and then the Trevino-Higashioka combination. The bonus of that is how good Trevino's been. And Higashioka's been uh, good behind the plate when he's played, 
and outside of the first month and a half when he couldn't hit anything, he's been decent at the plate since then. But Trevino and what he's brought to you offensively has been a bonus. I mean, the guy was an all-star. All right, let's go back to some football conversation. 1-800-919-3776. Brian checking in in Harlem. How you doing, Brian? How's it going, pal? Uh, just wanted to talk about Makai Becton. Um, I think he's been getting the short end of the stick from, from a lot of the Jet fans. He, uh, you know, I think he had a great first season. He got hurt. He got ended having the first the first kid. That might have took up some of his time. And I think it shows a lot of matureness of uh, moving right over to, to right tackle and not saying anything about it, being a team player. It uh, looks like he slimmed down a little bit. Uh, I think he's ready to have a great season. And also, uh, John Frank, with a lot of talk about the defensive line. Uh, you got Jermaine Johnson. I all talked about that, about Lawson, about Clinton Williams. John Franklin Myers got paid. He got paid a lot of money, 55 or 30 guaranteed. He's really got to show up this year. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call, Brian. Becton had a really good rookie season. If you remember, the Giants and Jets in 2020 were among four teams to draft offensive tackles high in that draft. The first one to go was Andrew Thomas at number four. Becton was either the third or the fourth one picked. If you were to redraft those four guys after the first year, a lot of people would have picked Becton first. He was that good. A lot of people felt he was the best of the four of them. Now, that's only judging on one year. His size is unbelievable. That's obviously the first thing you notice about him, but there is such a thing as too big. And you're right. He gets hurt week one last year, and he's lost for the season. That's a very difficult thing mentally, psychologically, for a young man 22 years old to experience. So did he handle that as well as you would have liked? No. He put on a ton of weight, and then he was criticized for that by fans, by members of the media. He didn't like that. Maybe he was a little too sensitive for those comments. But again, you've got to understand, yes, he's a superior athlete. Yes, he's an NFL player, but he it's not like he's been doing this his entire life. He's a 22-year-old kid a year out of college, and now all of a sudden, the, the, the thing he knows to do best in the world is taken away from him by an injury in week one. So he's sitting on the couch while all his boys get to play football every single week. He's got to watch them, and... He wasn't as disciplined, I think he would admit, as he should have been. He put on a lot of weight, and then there starts to be concerns about, well, is he going to be able to get back into shape? Is he ever going to be the player that we thought he could be coming out of Louisville? Well, we haven't seen him back on the field yet, but he lost a lot of weight to put himself in position where he's the starting right tackle now. And that second point is important because everything you heard about Becton, he's immature, he doesn't have the right approach, Well, if that was true about this guy, moving from left tackle to right tackle in the NFL costs you a lot of money. And it doesn't mean he's not going to move back to left tackle at some point. But left tackles get paid a lot more money than right tackles. And your rookie contract, your second contract comes up fast. He's now starting his third NFL season. And if you don't think that these guys are thinking about their next contract, you're crazy. And if you think that makes them selfish, then I'm sorry that you're ill-informed. 
Everybody's thinking about their next contract or their next payday, no matter what they do for a living. They have a short, if you're lucky, you get eight years in the NFL to make that kind of money. So now he's already starting year three. He's been, by most people's opinions, a disappointment. And you just moved him to a position in which you don't get paid as much money as the one you moved him from. And he has not, up until now, said a word about it. He has accepted his new role. He has done what he was asked in terms of getting himself into shape. And now we'll see how he plays on the field. Because the one thing I can tell you about Makai Becton, never having met him, never having spoken to him, just having watched his brief career so far, when he was a rookie, he was really good. Like a really good football player. Like a foundational piece when he was healthy and engaged. So we've seen him do it. We need to see him do it more and with more consistency. But it's in there. And what a difference that could make if you could shore up the right side of your line with George Fant now as the left tackle. Obviously, Robert Salas seems 100% comfortable with having him occupy that important spot. The right side of your line seems to be set with Elijah Vera Tucker at the right guard right next to um, Makai Becton. And there you go. The skill position players I really, really like. I mean, I think Garrett Wilson can be special. I really think he could be special. Corey Davis has had a great camp so far. He had his moments his first season in New York last year. Elijah Moore, when healthy, proved that he could be very good. And I'm still a believer in Denzel Mims. I know he hasn't played consistently, and he hasn't. He certainly hasn't played consistently well, but there have been pockets of action with Denzel Mims where he's looked like the real deal. You know, if you've seen somebody do it at least a little bit on this level, you're not going to give up on a guy that young in his third year in the NFL. And what is Mims on this team? At best, he's the fourth wide receiver if everybody's healthy, and you hope that's the case. Wilson, Wilson's going to be the number one in very short order. Uh, you know, could he have a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson-type impact on this roster? Yes, I think he can. A lot of that is up to the offensive line. A lot of that is up to Zach Wilson. But if the offensive line and Zach holds up their ends of the bargain, I think Garrett Wilson could be real special for this team. And then Davis is a solid number two. So is Moore. And then Denzel Mims, your change of pace guy, your big play guy who pops in and out. There's a lot of potential there. Take a quick break. Yanks still lead 7-2, heading to the seventh inning in the Bronx. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Nestor Cortez wasn't great. He pitched five innings, gave up two earned runs, struck out five. The ERA is now 2.53. This is something to continue to keep an eye on, and I've been mentioning it every time I've been on the air. Aroldis Chapman, a lot of Yankee fans and people who follow the team have given up on him. Aroldis Chapman is going to be an important part of the Yankee picture going forward. He's just not going to be the closer. But going back to Tuesday night at City Field, Chapman, a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. He and Aaron Boone has been smart lately, giving Chapman an opportunity to 
get himself back in form. Last night, an inning out of the bullpen, struck out one. And his pitch counts have been very low. Again today, now Boone is using him back-to-back days to see how he handles that situation. Today, another scoreless inning out of the bullpen for Aroldis Chapman. So this week, that's three straight scoreless innings out of the pen for Aroldis Chapman, especially especially with Michael King now out for the rest of the season. Chapman and Loisaga are going to be extremely important for this team. So is the guy who's on the mound right now, Clark Schmidt. Chapman today needed 13 pitches to pitch a scoreless inning, and he struck out two. Don't pay attention to the ERA, which is still above five, although it's coming down. Don't pay attention to anything other than the fact that this is a guy who still throws in the high 90s, is a left-handed arm, and has been in every big situation you could want. Now, has he always come through? No. Nobody's always come through. But there's not going to be a situation that Aroldis Chapman faces this postseason that's too big for him. And you can't say that about everybody. So just keep following Chapman's role in this bullpen. Because the better he pitches, he's a guy who Aaron Boone has trusted in the past. Now, this has not been a good season. He wasn't pitching great to begin with. Then he got injured, and he wasn't great or even good coming back from injury. But over his last three or four outings, he's been good. In the highest leverage spots, no. But you don't need him to be your closer anymore. But you will need him at some point, and he will be heard from in a big spot this season. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. Let's go to our phones and Richard in Manhattan. Hey, Richard. Pat, I agree with you 100% about Chapman. You need every pitcher you can get as long as they're pitching good. Now, with Chapman today, he pitched nine pitches yesterday. That was his second good outing in a row. I would have stretched him today. He pitched 13 pitches. Because, Pat, unless you stretch these guys once in a while, you don't know whether they can go for two innings. Now, Schmidt went three innings in a 6 nothing game a week ago through 54 pitches. So there, Boone stretched him. Chapman, I would have stretched him today. He was great. Ten pitches, I think, or 12 pitches, you said. I would have went to 20 maybe. Maybe he's better in a non-pressure, non-safe situation and in the middle of the game. And see, I mean, unless you try, you'll never know, you know? Why not? I, well, I think there's time for that, though. I mean, No, there is, right. Pat, there's what time I'm saying for is it, it may be that Chapman needs to get warmed up. You know, why are they so rigid? One inning, one inning, what? You know, it doesn't make sense. You got the opportunity. Today would have been a perfect opportunity to see if he can go to, because that's a big thing. To me, the less pitches you use, the less chance of somebody not having it that day. So if you have a guy that's pitched well one inning, why why just suppose and say, oh, he can't go in another, another inning. We, we don't want to wear him out. Or the other team may be used to him. I don't know. I don't understand it. Because he was pitching well. You know, you have time for that. And well, if you Richard, get two- you also have to understand that historically, Aroldis Chapman has been a one-inning pitcher pretty right. much his entire career. Right. Except- but he's never been a non-closer either. But so, still, so you, let's you, try you, you, you don't want reinvent- you don't want to ask him to do more than you're comfortable. Plus, you know what? His confidence is still something that needs to be built up. Get him out of the game for a third straight, very strong outing, feeling even better about himself. There will be time to stretch him out, 
But I think Boone's playing this right, to be honest. All with right. You. But, you know, Pat, you had guys like Dave Rigetti, Dennis Eckersley, uh, John Schmoltz. These guys were starters and became relievers. This is not a big deal from a guy to go from one inning to two innings, especially when the pitch count is low. And, I, you know, I just like to see them try it now. Uh, as far as you said about uh, kind of Falefa stealing third base. It's curious to me that the Yankees, and they've done this, and Rizzo tried to steal third a couple of weeks ago and was thrown out. It's curious, and the other day, there was a man on first on Sunday, no out, the Yankees Yankees were up 3-0, Gallo had not only the third baseman not there, the shortstop wasn't there, and he wouldn't even attempt to bunt. With a man on first and no out, for the good of the team, give yourself up. Try maybe you can even beat out though. I wouldn't even concede the out, but at least attempt the bunt. And he wouldn't even attempt the bunt last Sunday. I couldn't believe it in a three nothing game they were winning. You know when you move runners along, things happen. You you can't automatically think that it's going to be an out. A lot of times these guys fumble the ball and make mistakes, throw the ball away. You know, and they played with no third baseman, no shortstop. I said to myself, if Gallo wasn't, isn't even willing to give himself up or attempt to do something for the team at that moment, he's really not worth it because he's not hitting, obviously, and he's striking out a ton. So, I mean, that, I think, sealed his fate last Sunday. But, but the Yankees do take chances because they had kind of Falefa steal today. To me, well, they I don't have know guys, if you have to... they, they have guys, Richard, and thanks for the call, who can take those chances because of the athleticism that they now have on their roster. The Gallo thing, while I agree with you, Richard, I don't even think it's worth talking about anymore because Gallo has lost his job. He's not going to be on this team beyond Thursday, uh, beyond Tuesday. Uh, the Yankees would love to unload him in a trade, and if they're unable to do that, then they're probably just going to release him because especially once Stanton comes back, there's no need to have Joey Gallo on your roster when you're not going to start him. I mean, look at today, you don't have Stanton, and Judge is DHing, and there's still not a spot for Joey Gallo in the outfield. You have Ben Attendee in left, you have Aaron Hicks in center, and you have Matt Carpenter in right. You don't need Carpenter and Gallo. They're both left-handed hitters, except Carpenter is a lot better than Joey Gallo. Gallo's days are numbered, so... There was a story on NJ.com yesterday. Someone spoke with someone close to Gallo, and he's ready to move on. He knows this hasn't worked. Brian Cashman knows this hasn't worked. Cashman's not a guy, historically, who has uh, admitted defeat. You're not going to hit on every trade. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think it was the worst trade in the world last year when they picked up Gallo from the Rangers right before the deadline. He was an all-star last year. If Gallo was the... Gallo's a guy who's always been kind of a controversial player. Because he always hit around 200, 205. And baseball purists who still hold on to batting average as being more important than it is in today's game. Baseball purists, those people did not like the 205 batting average. But he hit 35 home runs last year. If Gallo batted 205 this year and was on pace for 35 home runs then Ben Attendee wouldn't be on the Yankees because that would be enough. He plays a solid left field. Not great, but he plays a solid left field. And if he was giving you 35 home runs 
I mean, think about it. You might hear 205 batting average. Oh, that's awful. And it is. 205 is awful. It's 40 points higher than what he's hitting now. <laughs> so it's a significant jump, but he couldn't do it. There are certain people, and I, I believe it is absolutely New York. He can't handle New York. There are people who can't handle New York. Jason Bay could not handle New York. Now, there's some people who get here and they just stink the rest of their careers. Sonny Gray couldn't handle New York. Sonny Gray was really good in Oakland. He was not good in New York. And he's been good in Cincinnati and Minnesota since. Jason Bay was really good in Pittsburgh. And he couldn't handle New York. And he was never the same. Joey Gallo... I don't think he was ever really good, but he was certainly a productive player. Anybody who hits 35 home runs and plays gold glove defense is a productive player. But he couldn't handle New York. I think Gallo will go somewhere. San Diego, I think he said. San Diego, they seem to be in on any everybody right now. You know, they're the leaders for Juan Soto. They're talking with Joe Musgrove about a $100 million contract extension. You know, they've already got Tatis locked up long-term. They have Manny Machado locked up long-term. Now, Gallo wants to go to San Diego, but if he goes to San Diego, if he goes to Oakland, well, Oakland's probably not a good example because their ballpark is not home run friendly. But if he goes to a smaller market, Minnesota, where there's not any pressure at all, and he could just go and blend in and play good defense and strike out and hit 205 and hit 35 home runs, I think he would do that again, absolutely. But just when I told Richard it's not worth talking about Joey Gallo anymore, guess what I did? I just spoke about Joey Gallo for the last five minutes. So let me stop. We'll take a break. We'll get to more of your calls. 1-800-919-ESPN when we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Looks like I was right. Matt Carpenter, better than Joey Gallo, I'd say. So Carpenter, solo shot to right field. Carpenter has cooled off, as you knew he would. Right now, his OPS, I'm trying to do some quick math here. It's 11, 25, 12, 17. 12, 17 OPS for Matt Carpenter. Now, he hasn't played a full slate this season. Um, if you have 750 OPS is about the major league average. 850 OPS, you're an all-star. Matt Carpenter's OPS this year, on-base plus slugging percentage, is 12, 17. Incredible production. And that's why he's in the lineup. one 800 Let's go to Jamie and Yonkers. Hey, Jamie. Hey, man. How are you? I'm a big fan. Thank you. Yeah, just wanted to say, and I, I realize I'm trolling a little bit here, but honestly, the Yankees, the way the lineup is constructed, and obviously with the pitching and the lack of coal in a big spot, I got to tell you something. I don't think this team's doing anything. Your, your, your airwaves are going to be lit up towards the end of the season during the playoffs. Whereas my Mets, on the other hand, when I saw Jacob DeGrom in the dugout last night next to Max Scherzer, <laughs> watching Edwin Diaz blow those dudes away last night, the Mets are a much, much, much cooler team than the Yankees are. Well, listen, I went on a whole thing last night, Jamie, on how 
the Yankees and the Mets both made moves in recent years to solidify the top of their rotation. And right now, there's no question in my mind that I'm not even counting Jacob DeGrom as part of this conversation because we need to see him pitch in the majors. But right now, if you look at... If you look at Max Scherzer, hold on. If you look at Max Scherzer on one side of town and Garrett Cole on the other side of town, there is no question that the Mets are better set up in that spot. So, is there any other team in baseball that's going to make a trade deadline acquisition that's the equivalent of the Mets acquiring? quote-unquote, Jacob DeGrom. No, it's impossible. It, but there, it, it does come, Jamie, with a big if. All right, we have to see him pitch. But assuming he's close to what he was in recent years, then it's impossible for anybody to do that because there's nobody in baseball who was that good. I agree. And one other thing, and obviously you're, you're a Yankees watcher, i got to tell you, I don't trust Adam Adovino farther than I can throw him. He's a big guy. I can't throw him very far. He's a big guy. I think guy. they've got to add Robertson. they got to add Contreras. I think that'll happen. I think something will happen, Jamie. I appreciate the call. Out of Vino in a big spot, it's rough. You know, you, the slider, when it's on, is unbelievable. He's had some really good regular seasons. He's had a really good career. He's had a really good career. He's 37 years old. He's been around for a long time. Kid out of Brooklyn private school, um, Berkeley Carroll and Park Slope, you know, Cardinals, Rockies, Red Sox, Yankees, now the Mets. Yeah, he's he's blown up in big spots before. He's had a really good career. The Mets are going to be active. They're going to bring in at least another bullpen arm. What Lugo did against the Yankees in the Subway Series I thought was huge. Lugo, the last few years, was their best pitcher, starter or reliever, outside of Jacob DeGrom, of course, when he was healthy. Yeah, look, it's impossible for any— Look, the Mariners made the big move last night. They got Luis Castillo from the Reds. The Yankees weren't willing to part with Volpe. What the Reds were asking from the Yankees was ridiculous. I, I wouldn't have done that either. You know, Volpe and Oswald Peraza— and Jason Dominguez. I mean, that, that's those are their best prospects. You know, that's what you would give up for Juan Soto, not for Luis Castillo. Castillo's a really good pitcher. He would have fit in really nicely in the Yankees rotation, the Mets rotation. He would have fit in nicely anywhere. But what the Yankees were being asked to give up, I wouldn't have given that up for him either. It's a shame from the Yankee perspective. But that's the biggest name that's moved, Luis Castillo. Is he as good as Jacob DeGrom when healthy? Absolutely not. Nobody was as good. Jacob DeGrom, before he got hurt last year, was pitching better than anyone since Sandy Koufax. Now, can he do it this year? We shall see. We'll be back. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN.